Okay, so I graduated from Mount Holyoke College in 2015, and I was a studio art and political theory major. And from the beginning, I just remember um, I was always, always, always interested in art, but have always felt like a pushback with doing it full time. I didn't go to a very artistic high school, and I think there wasn't like a celebration for like my talent. And I did things outside of school, but I always felt that it wasn't like I couldn't make a full time career off of it. And I was very close to going to art school, but ultimately decided to go to Mount Holyoke to get like that full college experience. Um, arts education. Yeah. And I was like, I can study art at the same time. Like I should still be um, valuing these other skills that will make me successful. And I think Mount, going to Mount Holyoke was probably the best adult decision I've ever made. So I don't look back at it any like at all. Um, I uh, was very hesitant on going to an all-women's college, but I describe my experience as when I visited, I got off the bus and I met a whole bunch of women that were like the person I wanted to be. And that's how I knew I wanted to go there. And every day of my experience um, really... Um, exemplified that so no regrets but um so I started off I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna work for the UN I'm gonna be an international relations major and I started it and I hated it um, but I really liked the philosophical classes I took which is how I made the push towards the political theory major um I really like understanding the way people think and why um, and I like to say political theory is very similar to philosophy, but instead of taking it as, I think philosophy is very like you centric, like how does this affect you? And political theory is like, how does it affect society? So basically like you read the same text, but I think it's just a different like thought. Um, so that was like one side of me. And then the other side was a studio art major. And um, I think I took my first studio art class freshman year, second semester. And I was like, let's see, I haven't made work in such a long time. I'll take this as like an extra class. And then I like just didn't stop. <laughs> like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so then I, I will never forget the anxiety of graduating college. And um, it's so much fun. Like your, your last semester is like amazing but it's also just like, what am I going to do next? And I was not one of those people that had a job lined up because I was like, I don't know, like two majors, different sides of the spectrum, like so many options. And I just, I just didn't really organize myself and my thoughts. So I, when I graduated, I was kind of like figuring it out, applying to a whole bunch of things. And Within two months, I got an acceptance to intern at the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens. Um, so I interned there and I worked at a restaurant because it was unpaid, which sucked. <laughs> um, unpaid internships are hard, but um, I was like, I want to work in this field and you know, I also want income. So in the meantime, I'm gonna work at a restaurant. And I just wasn't, um, I didn't have like the energy I was hoping for at the museum. What was your role at the museum? Yeah, it was like a media intern. So it was like, I really didn't want to do media. Like I didn't want to like focus on like their website. It's like something that like technology is not like a passion of mine. So I think that was like also a part of it. Um, I think I wanted something with, I think it's important for me to have like a little bit of a, like a 
competition that exists in my job and like almost like a little bit of a high stress environment and working at the museum just was it was great it was a great learning experience but it wasn't what I was looking for um, and I couldn't see myself doing it full time so um, so I stopped and and then I did like a whole bunch of odd jobs I interned at a gallery, I interned at a photography studio while I was working at the restaurant. And it was hard because I still was like very unsure what I wanted to do. And was like doing a whole bunch of like little things while doing this other thing, which was the restaurant job to really like sustain like life. What was your role uh, at the restaurant? Started off as a hostess and then was a server. Um, and it was a restaurant in Long Island City. Is that the typical public. promotional track at a restaurant? Um, I think it depends on what you want to do, and it depends on the the restaurant. Um, when we when I first started off, we were super busy, and my role as a hostess was really valuable. And then um, as time went on, um, you know, the restaurant's no longer open, so this is telling of their story. But um, business started to slow down, so going back to like me needing a lot of energy and like simulation around me, it was just like being a hostess is not super fulfilling. I just kind of stand. So I um, wanted to move to a different type of job within the restaurant. And I, we had like a great team. I had great people I worked with. So I felt um, pretty like, okay, working there. Um, and then one day I was just kind of like reflecting on what was next. And I look at like the people I'm working with in the photography studio and like I, I see that they're all like in their 30s and they're all talking about their finances and they all have like this is there's not there's no dig on having roommates, but they were all like talking about the like the amount of roommates they had and like where they were living and I just like went back in my head and like asked myself that's where I want to be when I was, you know, 32. And for and me these was, are, and these people are also 32 year old photography interns or photographers like what was their role no they were like working in the media department or working at other departments within the studio um, or working at other like in other sections of the gallery um and I was just like this is not like this is not what I want when I'm 30s in my in my 30s and again it's not a dig on anyone else but I think there are times in my life where I have felt like I wasn't in like I wasn't in control of what was happening to me in my household, and like for some reason I it like dawned on me that having that like financial stability and not relying on someone was like my ultimate goal, and I had to like really say like can I reach that goal, um, and how fast can I reach it if I if I keep doing what I'm doing. Um, which is why I stopped and I was toying with. So what is the time span? Like, so you graduate school. And so at what point, so how far now are you along post-grad that you're like, oh yeah, I've now realized that making money is important to me. Yeah. And I don't think you should apologize for like wanting what you want. Different people want different things. And that's what makes the world move. Um, yeah. but yeah, talk about the timeline. Yeah, I guess I, I, I feel the need to apologize because being an artist, is, I think, is an amazing, important job. And there's always a part of me that's like, I sold out. 
Like, why is finance the most important thing? But going back to what I was saying, like, there were times in my life that I was like, wow, like, I see what is happening around me. And I see that it, like, it has the ability not to happen if everyone was financially stable and didn't have to rely on other people for, like, stability. And I told myself, I didn't realize how much I told myself this at a young age because it was engraved even by the decisions I made to go to Mount Holyoke, to major in... Um, political theory and an art that I always told myself that I'm like, I'm going to only rely on myself. Um, and I think that was a year and a half after graduating that I realized that. And like the whole time I was very anxious because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And like, I, again, didn't want to like sell out and be like, oh, like, I don't want to do art. Like I've was always like, I want to do it. So I, I've, I was always like tiptoeing around what I like needed to do. I think there's a difference between want and need. Um, so after after I realized I kind of stopped everything, which I would advise no one to do, to quit everything <laughs> and to figure it out. I so how again, many jobs it, did you have at the time? Like, or how many th things were you a part of that kept you busy? I was doing two things. I was working at the restaurant and then the photography studio. And I was just like, I'm not gonna. Well, at this point I was, on my feet six days a week that I stopped feeling my toes and I would get like these spasms in my legs that I was like, I should probably just not be on my feet this long. So I, I was like that in addition to being like, I'm so confused. Like, I don't want to do what I want, what I'm doing now. I stopped everything. Um, and again, it works for some people. I, in hindsight, wouldn't do it again because it made me a lot more anxious. <laughs> so now I'm like, I don't have anything to do. Um, so I, applied to a whole bunch of jobs. I was thinking, you know, what can I do with my experience, my political theory background, maybe like the gradual next step is law school. So I applied to like a whole bunch of like legal jobs and um, as like paralegals and legal assistants. Before so you took the LSAT? Um, no, it was around the same time and started studying for it. Um, went to like a whole bunch of law school fairs and I was like, honestly, like not sold on it, but I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So this makes sense. Um, and I didn't get, I, I, there were like two legal position jobs. I was like, I'm sure going to get one of them was like, you're overqualified. And I was like, I'm doing absolutely nothing. And the other one was like, you're close, but no cigar. Um, which is frustrating when you're applying for colleges right after grad, like right after graduating a year and a half. Um, with not a lot of experience and probably wasn't coming across as confidently as I could have at the time. And I started temping um, and working at a restaurant again, <laughs> maybe like a month later, um, because I was like, I need to keep moving. I think that's really important for me. Um, and within temping, I went, I temped at a couple spots um, for about two weeks. And then I landed um, a temping position at the finance firm I currently work at. And I started off at the front desk. And while I was there, I was like talking to folks in the legal department. And I was just asking a whole bunch of questions. I basically, after like two weeks, I was just walking around like I own the place. Um, a part of it's a little bit of my personality. And another part is the staff was really great. Um, I would ask them a whole bunch of questions. People would love to answer them and they would really guide me. 
um, to the point that within what two- What kind of questions were you asking? Yeah. So what my firm does, we invest in wealth management firms and um, it's a little hard to understand, especially if you don't come from a finance background. And also I didn't, I took an econ class in college and I took it pass fail because I was like, this is not for me. So wait, um, okay. So tell me what your, so it sounds like we're on present day a bit, or we're about to get to present day. So mm -hmm. we'll start here and then backtrack a bit. What is your current job title? And then in seven words, describe your job functions. Well, okay. I am an associate on the business development team and I source the next opportunity for a firm to invest in. I don't know. Yeah, like. definitely more than seven words. <laughs> I'm also gonna be, I'm also gonna be sure to take out where you work in case that's like a sensitive thing. Oh. <laughs> in case it's up to you whether it's sensitive or not, but for some, I spoke to a couple other people and it was sensitive. Um, but it's up to you. So just, if you want me to do that, I can do that. So just keep that in mind. Uh, I guess, I guess we should do that. I yeah, never just in case. Cool. That's fine. <laughs> cool. All right. So, okay. Associate and you are now, okay. So then two weeks in, you're running the place just about asking questions, legal related questions at a finance firm. Dot, dot, well, dot. we have a legal department. Okay. So I was going in between departments. And I guess I, sh when I say I was like running the place, a big part of it's that I needed the help. Right. And I, <laughs> when I talk to people, I'm like, don't like put your ego aside when you start, when you start working, like you literally go in there, see what needs to be done and do it because the chances are that people are actually doing it. It's probably very slim. <laughs> like, especially if you work with like all men, there are things that they don't want to do because of the male ego that I think women really if come in there. If they dovetail with the situation, it can really be like a fully functioning, fully fueled business. And I think for, for like me and what I did, it was partly because I really wanted to gain experience and just saw the opportunity. It's whatever, like someone asked me to do, I would do it. Um, and that's hard because there were things I was doing that like I didn't particularly enjoy, but I saw like the overall value of doing it. Um, and I, I was hustling. I really was like, it, like I, I felt like, I feel like before that I hit bottom for myself. So I, I just didn't want to be there anymore. Um, so within two months I was asked, um, to learn a little bit more about the analyst position and start picking up on work. And then within three months, I was offered a position as an analyst on the business development team with the opportunity to move to San Francisco. And um, at this point, I was like, what about law school? <laughs> and then I was like, California, like I'm a New Yorker. Um, but I always say that there are like two types of feelings. There's a feeling of like that exists in myself. And I think this, if you're looking to be an entrepreneur or a business person, this is a feeling that you need, like will constantly need to like understand within yourself. But I was like, there's a part of me that's, that gets really anxious when a decision's in front of me. And then there's a part that's like very calm. And I'm like, no matter what, I'm going to do this. 
And um, for California, it was just like, okay, I'm going to do this. <laughs> like, I didn't even like tell myself that verbally, but I was like, hmm, okay. And then like all my actions after that were like, no, I'm going to do this. And I remember, I'll never forget like coming home and telling my mom about it and her response, which was like, no, why are you moving? There? Like, no, <laughs> like, no, why do you need to move to California? I'll never forget telling one of my best friends and he was like, yeah, you should do it. Like there were so like a mis mixed bag of emotions, but overall I knew it was the best decision for me. And partly it was like, I feel like in my story, um, I just couldn't let this opportunity pass. So this was a lateral shift in a new location or was it a promotion and a move? A promotion and a move. Gotcha. So a promotion um, in an industry I knew nothing about besides the two months prior is when I was asking questions um, and a new location. And like chapter one of that story um, was very difficult. <laughs> like there's a lot of romance about moving, um, especially across the country. And the first year of my time in California was hard. It was probably the hardest year of my life. Um, Why is that? One was the move in general. Um, I had never taken a move. I have never done anything like that before. I mean, I went to school in Massachusetts, but it's only two hours away from home. And when you're starting off college, like you're all new. So it's, I think it's easier to make friends. And I went to like a liberal arts college where they make it very easy, you know, like everyone kind of starts off holding hands and like, you know, walking with each other across campus. Um, but I basically came to California one weekend, looked at a whole bunch of um, apartments on Craigslist and Facebook, found a roommate, figured out I was like where I was gonna live, um, went back home, got all my stuff together. And then three weeks later was out here full-time. And this is um, Northern California? Northern California in San Francisco. And so that was step one. It's like that support system. And I didn't have any friends here. And I, I knew like one person and she was like an acquaintance, like not really close to her. So that support system was gone. Um, I mean, thank God for phones and, and zoom and like all the technology we have, but like, realistically, you know, I get home, I got home at the time at like six 30, it's nine 30 back in New York. If I want to eat, if I want to go to the gym by a time, like everything's, I want to do everything. Everyone's asleep. And that was a challenge. My first year, it was like, how am I going to live? Like, how am I going to do this? Um, and then, um, the other challenging part was just the job itself. I don't working. So because of there are a couple things that were difficult about working in finance at the time. Um, one was I didn't have any background. I have this joke that I didn't know that a difference between a stock and a bond and it's kind of true. I didn't. <laughs> so I started off from ground zero. The last math class I took was in high school. So really ground zero so what qualified you for the job would you say um my 
a big part of my job is business development. So I think I've always, I'm really good at communicating with people, but also was my drive, like my, my drive, they saw it. And I, you know, I, I, I always say like, I'm grateful for it, but also it was me. Like I, like I made people see it. So, I mean, it really like that saying of like what you want, you can achieve. Like, it, I mean, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like I just popped up one day and it was like, hire me. Like it wasn't like that at all. Like I had to convince a lot of people and I did it through um, being myself, but also like presenting the best version of myself. Um, Wait, so you, so you got the job offer or did you also have to apply? No, I, like they reached, they told me, like they reached out to me. (laughs) Okay. You're, we have this thing for you to do, take it or not. We're like, we want to hire you full time and our business development team. Gotcha. Um, So what, how did your team members then respond? Like, oh, y'all are, y'all are sending this girl to work with us from New York. Like they, she doesn't know anything about finance. Like, what was that like when you set foot in and yeah, what was their response? Yeah. I mean, they also saw the same. Like I, I, I don't know if I just lucked out, but working in business is partly lucking out, right? It's like being at the right place at the right time. And I was at the right place at the right time. Like everyone is, I have to say within my company, everyone is incredibly supportive and just cheers for me, which like, and there has been challenges where it has not been that way. And I've, I had gone through some of those challenges my first year. Um, But overall, I would say it's been pretty supportive. And I think when I do talk to people about working in finance, I, or working in any industry, I encourage folks to just take a step back and realize if you have a college degree, you're probably qualified. A lot of it's just learning on the job and it'll take some time, but if you really want it, it'll just take a little bit more time. My dad has always told me like, there's no such thing as smarter. It's just time, the time you spend studying. And if you just, you work nine to five, then I guess you'll have to spend like three hours af- like after just catching up, but it's not impossible. Um, going back to what I said earlier, you know, like everyone's just kind of doing their job and they really need someone to, I think success is stepping in and filling the gaps. Um, and if you're coming from a different industry, you're not cut out, cut from the same cloth as everyone you work with. And the chances of you filling in those gaps are a lot higher. So I think there's a greater opportunity, um, especially in the financial industry, if you're from a different industry or even fit the molds differently for an opportunity. And when I first started, I worked with all white men. So coming like this hippie girl from a liberal arts college, who's a person of color, like stepping into finance was hard. Like I'm like, I cannot like stress the, also a New Yorker in California. I felt like there was constantly like a language barrier. And I think that's what also made my first year hard. When I connected with people, I feel like they just didn't understand me. Um, it could have been like a whole bunch of things um, in a retrospect, but uh that's what made my first year really challenging. Um, second year. Oh, what were the, so then what were the greatest kind of learning curves you had to overcome at the time? 
Like um, you mentioned like earlier, like, oh, stock, not knowing a stock versus a bond, but sort of like even professionally, like what was the sort of baseline language that you needed to adopt quickly? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I think this will, will change depending on the person you speak with. But for me, it was a lot about confidence, which I think is something that men are taught inherently to have and women are taught to like execute it in a different way. Um, for me, I'm a lot more subtle. I don't really like, I'm, I'm bossy, but I don't really enjoy telling people what to do that much, you know, or like executing my, my knowledge outwardly. I'm kind of like, if you give me a task, I'll do it, but I'm not going to sit there and like mansplain it or like explain everything to you. Like there was a lot of, there was a lot of communication all the time. And I guess I was like a little um, shy, especially in an environment that was all white men. And I, it was something that I, I like noticed in myself very early. I was like, I, with my friends, I'm very outward. We spoken and confident, but like in this environment, I feel so closed up. And I was really hard on myself for it, especially the first two years. Um, honestly, recently, I think it's gotten better, but I was just like, I, like, I just feel like this place is not for me. And I think once you say that to yourself, there are like certain, it trickles down into certain things that you don't realize it's actually hindering your experience and your progression within a company or even understanding the total concept. So I think for me, my greatest hurdle was um, realizing that I belonged there, which sounds like really abstract and kind of, it's not super tangible, but um, it was just saying like, you know, you belong here. And like going back to what you were saying, you're like, how did your coworkers, like even like, how did they feel that you didn't have this experience? Like instead of them almost feeling that way, I took it on for a while. I was like, do I have to do more? Like, are they second guessing me? Do I have to do more? Do I have to, you know, what do I have to do to show them I'm, I belong here? In reality, I just belonged there. So. Interesting. So what, what technical knowledge did you have to develop? Yeah. Attention to detail, detail, you know, all that, those things that you'll find on, um, on like applications to jobs, <laughs> like attention to detail, you know, like being, a, being, no, I don't even say being assertive. I think paying attention to detail was like the hardest thing for me. Um, partly it was, yeah, it was just hard for me because, um, I didn't really understand things for a while. So <laughs> paying attention to detail and like getting everything correct was just something that um, I struggled with at the beginning. What else? Um, I just think full understanding of the industry. What, did, what tools did you feel like, what tools did you use to help you better understand the industry and the work? Um, leveraging your my team. Um, again, I'm really lucky to have a, a supportive team. And I think everyone, if they start um, working at a company should find like a mentor that they can ask questions to. Um, 
and like continue to ask and don't be afraid to. Um, and then, you know, I think depending on the industry you work in, you'll hear about different reports you can read and um, just different websites. We're really lucky to have Google and like leverage it. Like you can really Google anything. Right, um, but I'm saying if people want to do the work that you're doing, where should oh, they yeah. look to get the information? Like where on Google? Like, um, like are there websites, text, like, yeah. they, like conferences that you recommend, professional groups? Investopedia is really good to figure out just all the lingo that you need. Um, this is a secret that I would do, but if Investopedia was too like verbose, you know, sometimes they expect you to know words that you don't know in definitions. Um, I would type in, you know, like this is uh, an example. What is an ETF? Explain an ETF for kids or explain ETF for dummies um, to just have it like really simply put. And that's something I did a lot my first year. Sometimes I even do now um, because uh, I think the more people like, the more words people use, the, the more educated I think they are, which I don't really believe. I think simplicity is um, the true form of knowledge. So I think it's sometimes hard to ask someone because the chances are that they have a full understanding of it is sometimes um, not what you, what you would expect. So typing those things down, um, writing them down. I have like a journal of, of terms that I have handwritten because sometimes you read it and it'll just escape you. Um, and then like a big part of it, a big part of learning, I think is also verbalizing what you learn. Um, I think it's easier for me because my job is about communication and reaching out to people and speaking to them. So I have to think about like my voice, but recording yourself or talking to yourself, um, talking to your friends about what you do. Um, even like talking to your friends about something you've learned and like verbalizing it, I think it really helps um, because when you have to explain things to people um, is when you actually learn about it. It's, it's like that whole as a teacher, you, or when you're training someone is when you actually, like it hits you that you know something and that um, it's like inside your brain. Um, so I think Investopedia was huge for me. Um, there are different websites specific to my industry, um, like CityWire, um, you can read Forbes, Barron's, um, couple other ones are escaping me right now. I can send you a list of them for sure. Um, but I leveraged Google a lot. Um, and uh, for me, taking a step back, what I do, what my company does is we actually invest in small business owners in the financial services industry. So there's like when you need someone to invest your money, you can go to Morgan Stanley, you can go go to UBS, you can go to those big companies, or you can go to a small independent company. And my firm invests in those small independent companies. And the reason why is because those small independent companies are able to follow the fiduciary model, which is doing what's best for their client because they're not tied to a, like a huge institution. 
So I talk to entrepreneurs all the day, all day. And that's something I really personally enjoy because coming full circle, I would love to go back and take the knowledge I learned at my company and bring it to something that I create going back to like the art industry. I'm not sure what that is, but just taking like everything and dovetailing it together. So I like what makes me jazz about my job is like that opportunity to like create something of my own one day. So I also listen to a lot of NPR, like how I've built this and Planet Money because it really keeps me inspired um, and helps me think about like my day-to-day not being my like year-to-year, my like decade-to-decade, you know? Um, So those are like the things that I kind of use in addition, you know, and then just talking to people, I think. So how do you spend like your average day? How do you spend like 80% of that time? Yeah. I think it really depends um, right now, but as business development's a unique cycle because sometimes you'll get through a lot of your prospects and you'll have conversations with them and they don't like there are no next steps. And then sometimes you'll go through your prospects and there's like 10 next steps. So like there are times of year that I'm just reaching out and having conversations and telling um, business owners about our model in the hopes that they'll partner with us. And then in the event that they do partner with us, I work on the deal side. So I grab the data from their firm. I analyze it to see how profitable it is. And then once they kind of go through the process, I work on the deal side along with my team. And we put together a term sheet, we put together a proposal, we put together all the like inner makings of the deal and present it to them and kind of negotiate with our legal department, with our legal department, um, what those deals will look like. And then home run, they want to do a deal. Everything's great. They become a partner of ours. And then we have to help them on the day-to-day. We have an autonomous, we have a model that all of our firms are autonomous. So they run the same way that they would without us, um, if that's what they want. Our whole thing is to follow that fiduciary model Um, They have to, you know, still do what they want as a business owner and still provide for their clients the same way they would have, because we don't want to become like that huge institution. So um, we provide um, some resources to them um, throughout the year. uh, And that probably takes up 40% of my job. But like a core part of my job is just reaching out to different entrepreneurs and seeing if they're fit for a model. How do you decide which ones to reach out to? Yeah, so we have a a database. Um, So each firm has to file on the SEC website. Well, I guess they don't have to file on the website, but they have to file with SEC. And the SEC has a website. And then we have like a back office that compiles all the data. And that's kind of our universe in addition to other things. Um, So there's like a, a universe I split up with my team and... Um, there is a vetting out process. There are some firms that are more profitable than others. Um, that's a secret sauce for us. So I can't tell you everything, <laughs> but, um, your IP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. can't tell you everything about my job. Our competitors will be listening, but, um, 
yeah, there, there, there are definitely certain firms that are more profitable for us. I think what's really nice about the RA industry, it's a pretty lean business. So the firms are profitable and they pretty much grow year, year after year. Like right well, now- you said RA? RIA, what is Registered that? Investment Advisors. Okay. So you're giving money, you're working with businesses that are giving money to other businesses. I'm working with businesses that are investing money for high profile or really high net worth clients. So is this angel investing? No, angel investing is nicer. <laughs> so this is, so let's say there are actually two types of businesses. One of them will be more exciting for you than the other, but okay, let's say you got our headmaster. <laughs> he has like, <laughs> he has a lot of money, right? He's like, He's like, oh, I have so much money. Like I need to invest. I need to put half of my, my um, cash flow and in investments. Like I need to invest it in some stocks and bonds. So you could go to Morgan Stanley. So Mr. Fish could be like, I'm gonna go to Morgan Stanley. Or he can go to like a private run investment advisor, which is what we invest in. So Mr. Fish takes his money. He goes to a RIA. Most RIAs were really profitable ones for us. Um, and then there's like another line of business. So basically my CEO came from American Express and he like knows the like corporate world very well. And basically was like, you know, this institution is not doing the best thing for their clients because it's an institution. You know, when you're a part of an institution, you're more, likely to follow all of their rules, all of their, use all of their products and follow all of their like systems that they have in place, which not, doesn't necessarily mean it's the best. What's good about the RA space is that it's independent. And basically you can cherry pick the things that you want to use. And he said, this is like, this is a great model, which is called the fiduciary model, which is what's doing best for your clients. Um, because of all of that, you know, it's basically entrepreneurs that are so passionate about what they do that they're going to do whatever they want. Um, and there's this other line of business called business managers um, that follow that same fiduciary model. But instead of just focusing on investments, they literally run the lives of all celebrities. So there's like a couple of big business managers out there and we invest in like the top two. So that's like pretty cool. I, but I was, I met, um, because he was becoming a client of ours. And I, when I was working at the front, I had to like corral him through our office. So that was like pretty nice. Um, so that's like another line of business that we focus on as well. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so what, so you mentioned like your job brought you to California and it sounds like you got a, you said you moved for the analyst job, but then in your intro, you said you're an associate. So I presume that that's a move up. Yep. Um, what do you think made the difference from analyst to associate? Like, what do you feel like is the bar that prepared that you had to go over that you're like, Oh, I'm prepared. So I was, I moved to California as an analyst. And then I think it was a year and a half to two years after being an analyst, I moved up to associate. Um, and let's, see. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit more like it's a, it's the same of, it's the same 
qualities I had for moving to up to the front desk from analyst as analyst associate. Um, and I would tell myself that, you know, I continue to tell myself that it's about filling in the gaps, seeing what everyone is doing, figuring out what can be done better and doing it. Um, I think that's how people can see value. Um, and I think that's what really makes a good idea come to fruition. When, as like, I start to think about the gradual next steps, I'm continue, continuing to think about the world. What is the world doing? What can the world um, do better? You know, how can an idea fit in there? Um, and that's what like my, and I kind of was able to put language to this because that's how my CEO came up with focus. He was like, what's happening in the industry? You know, all of these independent advisors are doing great things. Um, the industry and society is going towards more of that personal touch. And all of these businesses are pretty old and they all need a succession plan. So they're all gonna retire soon, which means their assets are gonna go to these big institutions or they're gonna go somewhere else. What can, like, what can I do? And that's when he created my company. So like, I constantly kind of try to think about that. Um, so I think those are some of the skills, but also I'm just um, competitive with myself. And once I complete something, I have in my head, like what's next? And, you know, I had a list, a mental list. I think moving forward, I can do a better job actually handwriting it and crossing off. But I had like a mental list of things I needed to accomplish. Like the, the analyst role, like what, what was it? Like, what do I need to accomplish? And I did it exit it, like cross it off, cross it off, cross it off. Eventually, like I was promoted. And this year I had my list as associate, like what I had to do. And I was able to cross things off and it felt really, last year felt really good. Um, and this year I have another list in my head and, you know, um, it'll keep going on and on. So what's the next level up from associate? Senior associate. I encourage younger kids that are figuring it out to and know that they can do both. <laughs> like, um, I think our generation millennials, I guess baby boomers are taught like, you work and then you work at a company forever and you do really well at that company and like, that's it. And millennials are taught like, follow your passion, work at multiple companies, <laughs> figure out which one suits you best. And I think that there's a nice in-between of, really gaining skills within an organization. It's kind of, I kind of think of it as like, and maybe it's not the best com comparison, but like romantic relationships, you know, like you can have a whole bunch and yeah, you can, you learn different things from different people and that's great. But there comes a time where you think that you're learning different things from different people, but you're actually just be, you're just the same person reinventing yourself for the same amount of time with different people. And you're not really learning anything. You're not getting deep. There's no depth to it. It's just surface level interactions with the same type of people. So there comes a point in your career that you have to really get deep and you have to hone in on your skills and you have to hone in on that credibility. So why not do both? Stay at a company that will allow you to hone in on your skills and then in your personal life, you know, be free, do like, do what you want to explore. Or vice versa, you can work at a company, different companies, but then hold, hone in on a skill in your personal life that's allowing you to, to, to gain that depth. Um, 
I just think that we are more capable, especially with all the technology out there to do our passion and to still make money at the same time. So I'm curious. So a couple of things along those lines, just in terms of like self-sufficiency or like building a life and work being a part of that life. And so can you talk about like your job, right? In terms of like, is there sort of like, what does compensation look like in terms of not necessarily just salary alone, like if there's a range, but then also like, are you able to travel a lot? Is it a strict nine to five? Like, are you working on weekends? Like those kind of things. Like, so people, so that way we get a holistic picture of how you're able to develop a holistic life with having this work experience as part of that. Yeah. Um, compensations, cash, bonus, and stock options. Um, and my company has a good 401k plan. So, um, I'm very lucky, very, and good healthcare. So very, very lucky. Um, and I feel that my time here will be, um, paid off in all those ways. Um, is there a salary range for the position or similar positions that in the space? Yes, I can't tell you those numbers. I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> um, <clears throat> can yes. I guess and you can tell me if it's up or down or skip it? <laughs> so as, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, I would say it's the industry standard. Um, the only thing is I think most companies do commission and we have, because of the stock options and the bonus pool, we're incentivized to, to, um, to take that. I am sure. trying to figure out my word, words to, so, where to can, so at least where can people go to figure out the, sa the salary standards that is, that you feel like is accurate? Google. I mean, Glassdoor, I mean, any place. I mean, if you just Google it, it's pretty like, uh, maybe that's not fair. Um, yeah, I think that's also a tough question, especially for, for, I was talking to my friend about this for women, cause we don't talk about this and right. you can see like right now I'm getting uncomfortable. I'm like, what do I do? I don't even know how to answer these questions. Um, like, but if I the guess, information is accessible, I don't want you to feel pressured to. Yeah, I would say the information is accessible. Um, and if you have any questions, feel free to come to me offline. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. But that. you're able to, so, okay. So can you paint a bit of a picture, right? Going back to holistically what your life looks like, like, are you able to pay off student debt comfortably if you have it? Are you able to like, what, what is your like, what kind of living situation are you capable of in the most expensive um, housing market in America? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, I was able to live comfortably with a roommate, um, but did think about my savings. Um, and as our stock price went up, I felt a little bit better about that. Um, and also felt better about um, the opportunity. For me, it was just like, it was basically like a, I'm trying to like a dangle the carrot. And I think some people 
a lot of people were like, how are you going to do this? Like, you're not going to be able to save for me. It's like, when I see that around me, I need to, like, I, I feel like I need to do better. Like I always have to be in environments that are, that are better than where I am because I know that just, you know, give me whatever time I'll get there. And I just moved into my own one bedroom, not even studio, one bedroom apartment in Oakland. And it is like, so like I, I wake up every day and I'm like, I can't believe I'm here. Um, and I, I mean, I did it because for me, it's like the carrots there. Like now that I have this and like a big part of the conversation I have with myself is now that I'm here, I can't go back. So what is next? And every day I tell myself that I'm like, cannot go back. What is next? So, um, I would just encourage people if they're like, I can't like, this seems hard. Um, yeah, it is like life isn't easy. That's something I tell my brother all the time. I'm like, life is hard. Yeah. It's like, that's hard. I'm like, I know when I moved to California, I was like, this is hard. And I would come back home and I would be like, this is hard. And someone would say, move back. And I'd be like, no, and no one got it. But for me, it's like, just because it's hard doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. So um, that was a little bit of a spiel about compensation, <laughs> but um, yeah, I would encourage you, like, it's an obstacle. You can get through it. Um, compensation is an obstacle? No, just um, in life. <laughs> life in general. Sure. So you might, and again, like I didn't start off making my salary. I started off at the front desk. <laughs> so I was like, all right, this will eventually happen. So like, just don't, just don't give up on like what you think you can do. Um, but I'm able to live comfortably. Um, rent prices went very low in the past few months. So I was able to get a really good deal on my apartment. Uh, I would probably not be able to afford this apartment otherwise. So, um, you know, hopefully the rent market continues to go down. So more people can afford to, um, live outside of their hometown, their parents' home, um, their, even with their roommates. I think for me, it was really important to leave New York, which is also something I didn't like fully understand until maybe a year out. Um, for me, it was the comfort of being home was a clutch and I needed to sink. Um, it's also, it's, it's hard to reinvent yourself when you're around people that know you so well. Um, I know some people are really good at it. I wasn't. Um, I really enjoy the comfort of being home and being around people that love me. And sometimes I just go into like being coddled instead of pushing myself. So um, my time in California has really like, I look back on the past three years, two years, like I, can't, I don't even recognize the person I was. Um, so, um, yeah. Cool. We, you didn't talk about, so, right, are you able to leave work at work? Do you travel for work? Do you travel by yourself? Like, what is that like? I travel for work. Before pandemic, we traveled a lot. My company had really great trips. I went to Bermuda. I went to Costa Rica. Um, went to different parts of the United States. So that was really cool. Um, now that everything's virtual, we've been trying to do everything virtually. Um, but I'm actually going to on a ski trip to Montana with them um, coming up. And it was really cool because I took a skiing class when I was like five or six. 
um, but like haven't skied since. So I relearned through my, through my company and they're paying for everything. So they're really promoting my bougie lifestyle. Hmm. <laughs> it's, it's great because all of them are really good too. And I'm like, still like on the, like the beginner Money slope. So I'm like, <laughs> I go and I'm just like enjoying the time by myself. Um, but yeah, so that's, I mean, that's amazing. I think that's, a, I tell anyone that joins and that's as an analyst, like, doesn't matter. It's an amazing opportunity. Like when are you, like, I would never go to Montana. So <laughs> this is amazing that they're doing this. Um, work-life balance hasn't always been great. I think when I was starting off, I felt like I had a lot to prove. Um, just like anyone else starting off. So you spend a longer time working on projects, spend a longer time at the office. Um, and with the pandemic, I think all of us were scrambling, um, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what's what's next, what's happening. So I think that work-life balance wasn't that great for me. It was also with my roommate. I was living in a smaller apartment and it was just harder to focus. So I feel like there were times of the like times in the day that I would be like really in work. And then other times it was like, oh, like I can like go on a two hour walk and then come back and be like, I still have work to do, you know? Um, so I think actually having my own space and having that time to reflect on the year at the end of the year um, was really fruitful because now I feel extremely focused and extremely inspired. Um, so again, going back to just when, when you realize you're not on track, always having in the back of your head what that track is, is really important because I think you'll eventually get there. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer for different people and that's okay as long as you get there. And last year I was like, this is not what I should be doing. Like I can tell my body's feeling lazy. My back hurts because my posture's like this all day. I know this is not what I should be doing, but I keep telling myself that it's not, not what I should be doing. And now it's fine. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, that's some, some of the perks of working in finance is that you get to go on a lot of travel trips and that's the downside of finance is that you can be overworked sometimes. And there are times I was very overworked, so. Mm, and that exists outside of finance too. Um, boundary setting is critical. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Yeah. It's been sick. 